Hello and welcome to the Evergreen Way podcast, where we explore how to be a healthy leader for the long haul. My name is Andy Needham and I get to serve on the team with Converge Northeast. And I am so excited to bring you another awesome conversation about leader health. What does it mean to be an evergreen leader? And today I get to bring you someone that I met about a year ago who has been investing in our Evergreen Way cohort and last year's Evergreen One Day Leader Gathering. And that is Doug Melder. And you are going to love this conversation as we engage in Doug's story. And uh, he is just one of the sharpest people that I have interacted with, especially around the area of communication. He's got a background in the pastorate. He's done executive coaching in the marketplace around communication. One of the questions that I often will ask people in a hiring environment in an interview is this question. It'd be interesting for you to think about this today. If you were given a choice between three different environments, one would be a room with 200 people, one would be a room with 12 to 15 people, and one would be one-on-one. Where would you rank yourself in terms of your ability to connect with those people? What would be the one that you would choose and where would you find the most natural competency? A room of 200 people, a platform environment, a room of 12 to 15, probably a classroom environment, one-to-one across a table in an office sharing a coffee. And I know for me, for for a long time, I'd say the one-on-one was probably the strongest area. I also found a lot of comfort in a large room. You can kind of hide even on a platform. But the one that for me has been sort of the most uncomfortable was that 12 to 15. And one thing I've loved uh, working with Doug with this Evergreen Way cohort is both for me, the opportunity to work with a small group. We have eight guys plus the leadership team of three. So it's in that range of people learning how to communicate in that space. And then also watching Doug and Doug is an exceptional platform communicator. I've loved sharing coffee with him as well, but in those smaller environments, which I think is a great environment for us as leaders to engage in Jesus led with 12 people. Um, I've just really felt like I've sat in a masterclass of watching the way that Doug structures his presentation and uses different tools uh, to do that. And um, we'll hopefully get into some of that in this conversation. I wanted to mention to you uh, one other thing. If you'd like to stay connected with me and with Converge Northeast, send me an email, andy at convergenortheast.org, andy at convergenortheast.org. We're also planning this spring an evergreen leader gathering. Love to keep you in the loop on that. And if you email me, I'd love to send you a free resource. And that is, we are in a beta test of a self-evaluation tool for church worship ministries. It's one of the things that people ask me about a lot as my background, a lot of it is in worship ministry. And so I've been working with a small group of people to put together, it's a PDF document. You sort of self-grade yourself or self-evaluate, give yourself sort of a score in different areas of worship ministry. And, and the point is not to make you feel bad, or but to reveal where you have strength and to maybe clarify where you could improve. And so there's different domains of worship ministry that you talk about, the pastoral, spiritual leadership side, the administrative side of it, musical production. And it has uh, really just simple questions that you ask in each of those areas, and then you kind of evaluate yourself. And so we're still refining this tool. I'd love to send it to you at no cost. And I would love to get your feedback on how it works. It's something you can do as an individual or maybe gather a small team of people invested at your church in worship ministry. And we'd love to continue to bring, that's what we do at Converge Northeast. We, we relationally connect to create resources like this podcast, but we're always trying to create new tools that will help you be more effective in your context and in your ministry. So send me an email, andy at convergenortheast.org if you want to just stay in the loop or if you'd like that tool and resource. I'd love to hear from you. Please remember to subscribe wherever you're listening here today, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you're in, and and leave us a review. You know, if you are at all involved in podcasts, that a simple review, giving us that five-star rating will actually help new people discover this environment, and hopefully we can help some more leaders be healthy for the long haul. But without any further ado, I'd love to get into my conversation with Doug Melder. (laughs) 
It's my joy and privilege to welcome my friend Doug Melder to the Evergreen Way podcast. Doug, thanks so much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Thrilled to be here. Thanks for asking me and uh, making this happen. It has been um, really a privilege to get to know you over the last year and to be able to do some ministry together. And uh, you've been a part of our Evergreen Way cohort from the formation of that. And that's been a really exciting thing. But for those who don't know you, um, could you kind of press in on what does life look like today in your world, both in terms of your vocation and in terms of family? Yeah, sounds good. So I am you know, living in Southern New Hampshire, married to Amy. We've been married since, um, wow, this is being recorded, so I should have had this nailed down, but 2001. So we're, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a while. Just time dated. Don't do the math live, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> Uh, four boys. Uh, my joke sometimes people are like, "How many kids you have?" I'm like, "Currently four, because um, we, you know, we're we foster. So sometimes the thumb comes out. We had a foster baby for 16 months, as you know, during during the COVID season. Uh, but the boys are. Uh, we have one about to turn 16, so he's um, he's drivers edding his way around Southern New Hampshire. Look out for a Subaru Forester. Um, although there's a lot of them on the road, um, his is his is in pretty good control right now. You remember those days, Andy. Um, and then I've got a 13 year old, both of those guys are going to a, a great school up in Concord. And then we've got a, a 10 year old and an eight year old, uh, and they're being homeschooled right now. So if you hear anything on the other side of the door, um, you know, they're just kind of working through their morning stuff. That's great. Yeah. And then you've, uh, you, I've just started a, a new, a new work. Uh, you've been, yeah. uh, I mean, we'll talk more about this today, but you have a ministry background, but you've been, uh, serving in the marketplace and, uh, in, in different capacities and, yeah. um, beyond the role, like what are you sort of the passions, um, in for you in terms of helping organizations and helping leaders? Yeah. Maybe it'll be okay if I, like, I tell the story a little bit. Um, cause I think that'll yeah, bring absolutely. the passions out. Cause I think there's kind of a thread in there as you kind of pull through. So, um, well, my, my journey with the Lord uh, started with Young Life, so became a believer through the work of Young Life, kind of classic parachurch, like guy named Rich reached out to me, met him in high school, went to Bible study in the morning because the girls, you know, gave me a ride and were upperclassmen, you know, kind of the classic story, but really fell in love with Jesus and, and then kind of had to back my way into the church. Um, when I was coming out of college and Amy and I were getting married in 2001, we were... Uh, we were considering me going on staff with Young Life, and I was kind of in that process of raising support, and it wasn't going great. Uh, and then I had been attending a church in college, and the senior pastor of the church was someone that I got to know. His buddy was on the dorm with me, and he said, hey, I'd like to hire you uh, and your college roommate, actually, both of you, to do Young Life-style ministry from the context of the local church. And I was like, well, that sounds like the dream. I mean, that's what Jim Rayburn, the founder of Young Life, always wanted. Like, you should do this from the church and go reach, you know, kids that don't know Jesus and reach out to their families. And um, so I, I did that and I ended up being there for 15 years. That was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, about uh, a third of the way through, did a degree program at Fuller uh, that was a bit non-traditional uh, at the time. It was one of the early uh, distance learning programs and was really focused around leadership and focus around organizational development and um, kind of strategy, um, things like that with a little bit of traditional seminary stuff. Uh, I then shifted into a more traditional pastoral role, kind of left the youth ministry stuff behind. You know, I was done with the retreats and all that kind of stuff and felt like it was time to pastor people in our seasonal life. So um, I, I oversaw a church uh, that we had launched, uh, planted uh, early in the multi-site days down in the city of Pittsburgh, and then you know, kind of for the next seven years. Um, so second half of my time there, um, we, we pastored that church. We launched another about two miles away and another about nine miles away. And so both of those were kind of like collecting elders and leaders and worship folks and sending them and planting and all the work that would go into that. A lot of your listeners and you know what goes into all those things. At the end of those seven years, I was toast. I mean, I was exhausted. Um, there's a lot more to the story, but I went on sabbatical. And, you know, the secret about sabbaticals is you often don't come back. And I didn't. And, you know, I ended up here in uh, New England, uh, which I was born in Boston, didn't really grow up here. Obviously, don't have the accent. Uh, but my wife uh, grew up in New Hampshire. And so we, we ended up buying a house and, and moving up here. And in the process of looking at some churches, considering uh, maybe starting, starting our own thing or um, you know, maybe getting in with somebody else. I got a random uh, kind of note from this guy I didn't know. He was the CEO of a company called Own the Room. 
And he said, hey, I'd like you to come to New York. I think you'd be a great communications coach um, for our team and all of our clients. I binged watch a bunch of your sermons. You're great. Just love to teach you a few things and then, you know, give it, give you a role. And I was like, no, definitely not it. Um, I said, no, hard pass. Uh, and then about, um, about four weeks later, I ended up going to New York and I, uh, I ended up taking, uh, taking a shot with these guys and uh, joining their team and became a communications coach working with um, clients literally all over the world. Thought it would be a really fun thing to do for about five, six months while we kind of rested and got settled and then probably move into back into ministry. And I ended up doing it for seven years and, um, you know, kind of worked my way up through. And there was a, there was a lot to that. Um, overseeing clients, you know, flying all over the world, traveling, uh, going in and out of, you know, organizations that you would you would know and recognize him. Uh, and then at the end of the time, last summer, got real tired, went on a sabbatical, you know, secret about sabbaticals, didn't go back. And uh, so, uh, you know, this fall, I uh, did some contract work, working around, trying to figure out what was next, um, consulting, doing some things with um, some folks that I had uh, become friends with over the years uh, in the industry and um, and then just about 45 days ago, I joined uh, a great organization based in uh, South Carolina. I'm the second employee, um, and we've got a couple different businesses that we're running. But um, the one the one that is, is kind of key is we, we help people strategically grow. And so sometimes that can be kind of a step back and kind of, you know, you've maybe you've made some cuts and you're trying to figure out what's next. But usually it's trying to help take a step forward, like who we are who are you as an organization and, you know, kind of what do you want to do moving forward? I'm still doing a lot of coaching through that, carrying a couple of clients I'm really excited about right now as well. So, so all that to say, your question was around, what are you passionate about? And what I, what I didn't realize at the beginning that I've realized now, and I see some of the threads, which is why I included the bit about Fuller and education is that I, I love working with people one-on-one I love listening to them. I love coaching them. And we call that pastoring um, from a scriptural perspective. And um, I love developing teams. I love strategy and organization. And, you know, Andy, you and I share a lot of those things. And so we, we know, like, we, you can read the scriptures and you see those things, you know, like the way Nehemiah goes about planning the wall or the way that, you know, Moses' father-in-law is like, this is how you develop leaders. Moses, what you're doing is stupid. You're going to burn yourself out. Um, or the way that Jesus does it, or the way that Paul adjusts from like one missionary journey to the second, to the third, and then to the fourth, which is really just going going to Rome in prison. Um, we just see these things in the scriptures. Those are the things that fire me up. And what, what's exciting now is I, I actually get to do that for others and do all of those things. Um, sometimes the folks are believers, often not. Uh, and it, it has been fascinating to watch how the Lord can kind of use that. Yeah, I love the combination um, that you have had in God writing your story, but you know the background in ministry, obviously from young life to church work into the marketplace, and now you're getting to pour back into both you know your local church. I know you um, occasionally get to share and preach, and obviously be a, an advocate and friend uh, to our mutual friend Dave Ripper, um, and then also with what we're doing with the the Evergreen Way, which has been just a really fun space to be able to kind of take some guys who are. Have, have some incredible giftedness um, and aspirations to continue to grow, which is, you know, the most fun people to work with. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's right. Been, and I, I, such I'm not guy. advocating this for anybody listening, but it, it is, uh, you know, being a pastor working for a church versus being a pastor, not working for a church. It's, it's a very different experience of, I've, I've really been enjoying like this, uh, this, uh, you know, kind of idea of like being a pastor. And what's cool is some of my clients, they call me their pastor, you know, even though they're not believers, they know my story. And um, that's, that's intriguing. Who knows how the Lord will use that over the years. So as you've kind of had this this journey, um, what have been some things? I mean, you've already kind of tapped on it, like the um, the threads of common grace that we see throughout Scripture in terms of leadership. Um, that those things are universal principles that we can um, leverage, no matter the domain that God has us leading in. Um, but if you were to kind of look at it the other way, in terms of things that you have observed in how maybe things that the marketplace does well uh, for in terms of leadership development, in terms of inviting coaching that maybe are underutilized or undervalued or could be more beneficial to the, to the local church. Is there anything that you kind of feel um, as you have a unique view on that, that um, could be a benefit? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I think that the, 
the church certainly over the last 25 years has grabbed hold of some of the things in the marketplace. And you think about the church growth movement that actually started sort of from, from some folks out in California, um, but it was really built on top of business practices. Right. And you think about the mega church movement and, you know, some of the things that's done in multi-site and like you get to the spot where it's like, okay, well there was some good there. Now we're on the backside of some of those things and we see some of the faults. Right. And so I, I think your question's good. I think we should always be harvesting and looking because, you know, God's spirit hovering over the waters at the beginning of creation. I'm, I believe he's still hovering everywhere. And so, you know, when you have people creating the image of God, working with other people creating the image of God, they're going to stumble on, you know, kind of some common truths about how to structure something or um, how to build something. Um, I would, I would maybe say two things and kind of reframe the question, if that's okay, a little bit around um, Go ahead. what maybe what surprised me or or what did I learn, um, you know, moving from like 15 years of vocational ministry to being in the marketplace. And I would just sort of categorize it um, first is I was really surprised at how much I didn't know that was really going on. And so it, you know, my, I sort of prided myself in how I preached or how I pastored as like a person who always had like his finger on the pulse of the culture. And, you know, sort of, you know, viewed myself as like a cultural maven, you know, I was reading this and reading that and paying attention to this and all these things. And, you know, so that I could talk in a language they would understand, you know, kind of thing. And I, I you know, and honestly, I think I, I think I did a pretty good job at it. And um, probably among those on the pastoral team, I was, I was probably the, the one that like was most in touch with the culture. And then after about two years working in the marketplace, I remember one day just thinking back and processing all the change that happened. It's like, I had no idea. I had no idea what our marketplace folks were like experiencing on a daily basis, like in their offices, the decisions they're making, um, the challenges they're facing, um, all those types of things. And so I think, I think as pastors and ministry leaders, what I was encouraged, uh, what I would encourage is you have so much work to do. And I think it's just great pastoral work of deep listening, like not with an agenda, not like, I'm going to go meet one person every week. And, you know, so at the end of the year, they're a part of my core team and, you know, they increase their giving. No, it's like, I'm actually just going to go listen to people. I'm going to go take walks. I'm going to, you know, if it was, you know, nice weather in New England, we can sit on the back, you know, porch or make a fire, but like, just listen to people, ask questions. And, and I still feel it today. Like when I'm sitting, listening to a pastor speak, there's a disconnect between the life I'm living, kind of the the things I'm wrestling with as a marketplace leader, with what's coming from the pulpit or from the stage. It's it's not it's not connected. Um, so I think that's been a, a really really big thing. Um, the second thing I think is is smaller but not insignificant, which is that, and it's related. People who are removed like generationally from church, which is a majority of our culture now, are still attracted to the gospel. And they're still attracted to things that they think will solve their problem that I, you know, we would probably say are like they're gospel list, but they're, they're moving in that direction. Right. So like examples, like you know, people are focused on, they might say, like, I try to pray every morning. It's like, well, who do you pray to? I just, you know, it's just more like mindfulness. It's like, oh, okay. But like, I would think Paul would come into that and he would probably like stand and he would, you know, he would probably use that as a point to jump off and like talk about who you're praying to and how you think prayer would be effective and why you do that. Where's that longing coming from? So, you know, things like meditation and mindfulness and breathing and, you know, margin and, all these things in life, like people are trying to find Jesus. Um, and, and we need to be able to talk to speak their language so that we can introduce them to Jesus. Um, and, mm -hmm. and it's there. I mean, they're looking, I can mm -hmm. tell you that for sure. I, one thing I love about what you just described is that, um, you know, you kind of described a, um, an era where the church was sort of mining from culture relevance for programmatic purposes. And what you're describing right now is a more relational lens on some of the same things. Like it's really soul to soul. Like do we under, you know, cultural anthropology, but more relational anthropology of really understanding what are the struggles, the needs, the, what are the strongholds, the idols um, that 
are, you know, I mean, Jesus obviously was, gave a master class in that, that he didn't interact with each person that he would connect with in a different way. Uh, he had different types of way of questioning and challenging. And um, I think as the world is shifting rapidly, it's such an important reminder to recenter on those, those conversations. And that's great. Yeah, like you said, go for a walk, go for a walk with the small business leader, go have lunch and not with the agenda of getting them on your elder board, Yeah, <laughs> but just understanding like what, what are they going through? You know? Yeah. I love that you said that. It just makes me think about a little thought exercise. Like, Andy, could you imagine, like, think about all the creative meetings you're in and, you know, worship leading background and, you know, we're going to do this and then we're going to go to this. Like, could you just imagine, like, if, if Jesus ministry was taking place today, like how much time would he spend on creative meetings or, you know, nailing down a sermon series um, versus like how he spent life, which was with various groups of people and individuals and, um, and just teaching and telling stories and listening and healing and, um, you know, speaking about who he was, I, <laughs> we, I, I know as a pastor, I, I, there was a lot of time that I spent that I think in hindsight, I, it didn't need to be spent there. It needed to be spent, you know, sort of with God and with the people. It, it, that's about it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think I remember my student ministry days, like, you know, the imperative of showing up for kids games and being present in the lives of those students so that the day came when they were a junior in high school and had a moment of crisis. And, um, I mean, ultimately what we're talking about is incarnational ministry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's right. You know, I mean, if you kind of boil the sap out of it, we can take all the words away from it, but yeah. I think it is a moment to do that. And, to, but to think about sometimes when we think about incarnational ministry, we don't think about showing up at the small business leaders luncheon or, going to listen at the chamber of commerce or just being in these things. I mean, another whole area that we've seen a lot of value in, and you do a lot of this uh, as well, but um, you know, we, we believe every pastor needs a coach. Um, and you know, that's uh, sometimes I think when we approach those things as pastors, it's sort of like, I remember, you know, when the movement of having accountability partners was such a massive thing, which is a great value, but we would all kind of look at it like trying to find the ideal spouse in our life that has to be the perfect person that hits every single box. And then that person, but I think having coaches that are from a different lens, like there probably is somebody in your church uh, who could be a good coach for you in some way. So maybe talk about coaching um, broadly. You know, for some people here, that's like a natural thing. They just seek it out for other people. That's, you know, they went to Bible school 25 years ago and, you know, maybe they have a couple friends, but they're not seeking out intentional coaching. Um, what have you seen in, in your leadership that could, could benefit pastors in that space? Yeah, it's interesting. I have so many thoughts, so feel free to press in. And if I, if I don't answer that question, the first thing is you were talking where my head went is that, yeah, of course they need a coach. Like, what, is there an argument, <laughs> you know, because from, from the kind of marketplace world, Every high performer, every person that's in development, um, they all have coaches um, and, and like the good ones. And, and even I would say like above average ones, they have more than one. And it's like, okay, I've got this coach who's focused on this thing. I've got this one who's focused on this thing. Some they're meeting with weekly, some it's monthly, some it's every quarter, um, maybe once a year. They might be coaching them through like how to how to present and relate with board members. And so anybody have an elder board, like that's a particular type of coach. So you need like a seasoned veteran kind of twilight of their ministry career to walk you through and make sure you don't make the stupid mistakes that I've made and you've made. And, you know, I, you know, other pastors have made, like you just want someone to guide you away. You need a, you probably need a coach for your actual speaking and teaching. Um, give me a call, you know, but like there's others that are out there that are way better than me at it than that, that can do that. But that's a regular thing. They have someone, you know, review what they're going to share, give them tips, walk them through feedback afterwards. Um, uh, health coaches, um, discipline coaches, uh, coaches to help them through like structuring a year um, and strategizing the next 12 to 18 months. I mean, there, there's so many areas. And so I, I, I don't know what's behind it other than I can say what was behind it for me was just ego and arrogance. Like Doug thinking like, wow, I need a coach for that. Like I'm pretty good at that. I'll figure this out on my own. I'll just kind of ham and egg it and bootstrap it and, you know, Google my way through it and, you know, figure it out. Like that it sort of leads to, um, leads to where you might expect where you sort of like hit a ceiling 
and you're like, I, I'm not sure I can get any, any further by myself. And of course you can't. Um, so, you know, obviously I think any, you know, you probably run up against this where it's like, well, I don't know. That I want to coach from that, you know, pocket, you know, that's, I believe different things. It's like, okay, well, yeah. I mean, if they're coaching you on white papers and theological statements then yeah, it's probably not your coach, but if they're great at communicating, it might be your coach. Um, if that's the type of coach that you're looking for. So, um, so I applaud you guys for that. I think that's important. Um, I will say this about coaching. It is, um, it is a wild west of a business because there's, there's nothing keeping someone from putting coach in their profile, building a website and charging a fee. Um, and, and that doesn't mean like they're a good coach. It just means they call themselves that. Um, there are so certain, let's press on that yeah, for yeah, a second. Yeah. yeah. So if you were to say, what would be some um, critical things? Because it is anybody could put their shingle out and, and you know start a uh, Squarespace website in, in an hour and they're a coach all of a sudden. Um, so what are some things that you think are critical to look for uh, in a coach? Yeah. So great. I, I love that people can do that, actually. It, it's kind of you know, think about the music world and how easy it is to make a demo. Like, yeah, there's a lot of crap out there, but there's demos that get found every week that those people couldn't put a demo together before. They didn't have the resources to do it. They didn't have a rich uncle or whatever, right? So I think that's great because there are some great coaches, but what makes a good one? So I, I think referrals are incredibly important. Like you need to talk to somebody else, not just read what somebody said, because everybody is asking someone that, is knowing them at their height or helping them through a transition to write a referral for them. That's it's meaningful, uh, but it's not what I would make a decision on. So make sure you, you talk to people that have helped them um, make sure it's really clear, like what their background is, what their approach is, what kind of availability they have. Um, and I would be, I would be pushing that coach. All the good coaches will do a 30 to 60 minute free session at the beginning like just like a therapist does, like we're just checking for fit. There's no cost. There's no fee because listen for them, if they can get you as a client and say, you're going to pay them for 40 weeks or 12 months or something, an hour should be nothing. And if they, if they bristle on that, I'd walk away for sure. That's good. I think that, um, you know, it's similar to you actually use the therapy example, which my mind was sparking in that too, is like, um, realize that it may be a process to find the right collection of people and coaches for you. Like some of it is triage in your own life. Like just start, like find somebody, make a six week commitment with them. You may actually discern what you actually need coaching in. That's different. It may not even be about the coach. It might just you know, be discovery. So don't let the idea that you need to find again, the perfect coach for the rest of your life be a deterrent. And, and I think another un underutilized resource in the life of our churches, there are people that I think Pat in our, in our congregations that could be bringing value. I think we, we very much so have a struggle. Um, we have certain pathways for people to be involved in leadership in our churches, which are not bad. They're good ones, but we underutilize certain leaders in our church with certain capacities because we don't, we don't have a category um, for how they could be invested. And one of those ways I think is in bring, being a coach. Yeah. I, so, I couldn't agree with that more. And thanks for the reminder. Cause I think that's a key piece, right? It's like, there's probably you're attending a congregation or you're a pastor or a ministry leader in a congregation. There's probably somebody that can coach you there. And you're not going to have to spend any money for, you know, that's, that's a great place to start. Um, who, who do you yeah. look up to? Who do you look at their life and be like, I, I want to have an arc like they had, um, or I want to, um, I want to have the influence they have, or I, you know, I see them relating with their adult age kids as they come back on holidays and I'm heading into teenage life. So I'm going to, I'm going to approach them and say, can you be someone that I call on? Can we get lunch like every month or so? I just, I need help parenting, like from a spiritual perspective, mm -hmm. but I'm like, I'm, I'm looking for that person for sure. Um, so I, I, I agree with you. I think there's some people around the congregations as well. Yeah. So let's pivot a little bit to talk about communication because that's one of the uh, things you have a lot of experience in training with and part of what mm -hmm. you've been leading, um, the, the Evergreen Way cohort. We have eight uh, early to mid-career leaders who've been on this nine-month journey and tomorrow we get to be with them again. So don't give anything away about how you're going to make them uncomfortable and help them uh, take their next steps. But um, 
one of the things that you um, presented so well uh, was sort of a framework of communication in terms of the different uh, elements that, um, you know, some of these, I think if, if you gave me a blank piece of paper, I would come up with right away and others um, would not be on my radar right away. So could you just kind of talk about some things, just a, the basic framework that, as you think about communication? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think kind of at the core, uh, I want you to think about, you know, kind of this mix of who your audience is, what you know about them and why you're talking to them. Um, that, that is definitely the core. Um, around the outside of that, you can sort of visualize uh, what it is that you want to say to them, uh, which is where you begin to get into content. And then around the outside of that, I think you're talking about how you say it. Um, and um, all three matter, uh, and they, they're definitely interrelated. There's probably some brilliant way to get a design around it, but I, I just, I've never done that. Uh, but it, it just, it, to me, yes, it's intuitive. And, uh, but it, it takes practice. Uh, and I, you know, I sort of, um, I would say like a couple things specifically uh, to ministry leaders and pastors. So first is your audience is the most important, make it all about them. And that means it's going to be multi-layered and multifaceted, right? Every audience is different and it's dynamic. You know, you look out in a group of a hundred, there's probably all different pockets and populations of people in there. Same with a group of 10, same with a group of three. Like it's just very important to know what, what they need, where they are in life, what their expectations are, what their challenges are, you know, what they're looking to get uh, from, from whatever it is that you're sharing with them. Um, so audience first. Um, second, I would say you know, moving to the content. Content is king or queen is something I always coach people through. Um, but um, you usually have too much of it. Um, so like this, just less is more. It's so cliche, but it is so true. Um, and that runs from how you communicate to your slides to, um, you know, any sort of piece of communication. Less is absolutely more. Um, uh, I, th I think a really, really big one is to be yourself. Um, and we can talk a, a lot more about that. Uh, but I, I actually think that's probably one of the toughest things to learn. You can learn how to trim your content. You can learn questions to ask yourself to prep for the audience. It's really tough to just be yourself. You know, there's, there's kind of this projection that you want to, you know, this kind of, you want to project yourself as somebody, but you know, Andy is a unique person. And we don't want stage Andy. Stage Andy's fake. He's he's not a real person, you know. He's he, just like Doug does. Um, you know, there's a stage Doug where he's trying to be this person, this person, this person. And there's a stage Andy that's trying to be these people. And don't do that. Like you learn from them, their style, their tricks. Those are you know arrows in your quiver. But you you want to be yourself, and and that's the most authentic thing you can do. And honestly, as a follower of Jesus, that's what you want to do. You want to bring out the uniqueness of who God has created you and redeemed you to be, and and kind of outpour that to others. And you know, let Tim Keller be Tim Keller. Um, so, um, and then I I think the last kind of big tidbit here. So there's kind of four. So um, we'll go backwards. Um, be yourself. Less is more. Um, focus on the audience. I think the last one is just think about the last five minutes. Like, please, whatever you're communicating, it doesn't matter if it's a one hour diner breakfast with a, with a member who's grieving or, you know, speaking in front of 500 people, kicking off your big sermon series, uh, you know, for Easter weekend. Um, don't crash the plane at the end of the communication. Don't just drop the mic. Um, don't just, you know, close in prayer. Closing in prayer is essential, but it's not, the end of your communication. It's, it's something after that. It's, it's asking the Lord to like solidify the work that he's doing and what people are going to do. What you have to do is ask people and call them to do something. Um, and I, I just see so many great sermons that just, they crash land and they don't, they don't tell me like, okay, what am I supposed to do? Um, and make sure that connects to your audience. Um, so it's, you know, it's usually going to be a couple choices. It's going to be a couple options. Um, but just think of the incremental growth, like over time of getting them to choose certain things, you know, that don't make them, you know, choose a 52 week reading plan, um, you know, every week you can do that once a year, but, you know, get them to agree to meditate on a single verse three days in the next week. You know, get them to raise their hand, pray, pray for God's, you know, favor to mark that time and grow a pattern, you know, like 
just it's okay to have simple things. Um, that incremental growth over time, we, we call that discipleship, right? Peterson's like law and obedience in the same direction. When you talk about making it about your audience, <clears throat> I think the distinction, I mean, some people will bristle at that, right? Because like, well, it's all about the glory of God and, you know, you got to have these theological. Yeah, but they miss but, the glory I, if you're not connecting with them. <laughs> it's like all Shekinah. It's yeah. all, yeah. there's a, there's a, their life, they're, bright, they're like, oh, it's really bright. I don't, and eventually you're just going to shut their eyes. Yeah. In the worship leading world, um, when I, when I'm coaching worship leaders, um, I call that the astronaut worship leader. It's like, they're kind of like, oh, we've all had this experience. We've been in a corporate worship setting where it's like, man, that that guy is having a, he is in the Holy of Holies right now. Like it is, it's happening for him. And it's like, I just wish that like he'd invite us to come, come with him. You know, like that would be great. Um, and, you know, what I, I have a couple other paradigms uh, You know, I use the jockey that kind of tries to lead people with a whip. You know, it's like, we're going to get through this. Let's go, you know, as hard as you can. And, um, and then, you know, the beauty pageant uh, contestant is another paradigm that I, I often talk about. It's like sort of the trying to impress, right. Trying to have the right answers. Um, but the the real heart of leadership and pastors know this. I mean, it's in their job description is to shepherd people, to lead people. And it's not to impress them as you're described. But if you don't know your sheep, you know, Jesus knew the sheep knew his voice. Um, that is such an important thing for us to be able to do. And, and I use the paradigm. One of the, the phrases I use a lot for worship leaders. I think I said this in one of our evergreen gatherings is that the the goal of a worship leader, and I think it's the same when when you're teaching is to be completely in control, but not to be the center of attention. Um, and that's where you're you're putting the, the focus on the truth, but also on the people receiving the truth and not on you as the person communicating. And it takes a lot of practice to be that, um, to be that good, so to speak. So I, I, um, I love that. I think that's, I think that's critical um, to me, connecting with the audience really, like if it's a, if we're looking at a Venn diagram, the circle of connecting with the audience and the circle of being yourself are very overlapped, probably as much as 50 to 60%. Um, and, you know, uh, the audience, of course, would know, know C.S. Lewis. He, he, um, he was speaking at his church where he went and he wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't like in a, he was, he was like in me, he was like a lay person is how he talked about himself. Like he was a professor. He wasn't, he wasn't, you know, sort of to, to be speaking on a weekly basis. And, and he said that for a lay person to be useful or even interesting, he should start exactly from where he is himself. And, and he went on to say, not so much presuming to instruct, but to compare notes. And I love that. And I think it's a really good way to frame how we need to be ourselves and how that connects with the audience. Like, you, you know, and I, I actually think it's not just for lay people. I think it's for pastors and, and leaders who, you know, vocationally are in ministry. Like you should be up there on a weekly basis comparing notes on following Jesus. And you should not presume to instruct um, and you should start from yourself. Um, if, if I'm, you know, if I'm being honest, there's a, there's a lot of um, preachers and teachers in the church world that are great at the craft of communicating. Like they're really good at it. They can hold an audience. Um, they're great at illustrations, um, storytelling. They're great at biblical exegesis. Um, but they're not, they're not giving me the sense that they're in it themselves. Um, and it's, I, I want, I want to compare notes. I want to hear where you're not the hero in the story. Um, I want to hear, you know, where you made a mistake or something you're struggling with or a transformation that's slowly happening. Uh, that That's the stuff that really connects, I think. Yeah, I think that because um, I, I have the privilege of doing a lot of speaking where I'm coming to uh, this weekend, I'll go to church. I'm only there for one Sunday. I know the pastor. I don't know the people well. And I think, you know, that's a, that's a mantle of responsibility that, that I have. I'm always thinking about, okay, how can I help um, this church? Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't consider myself like a great keynote speaker, but a lot of our comparison often is to, we go to a conference, I was just at a conference, we go to a conference and we hear somebody, we hear their greatest sermon that they've ever preached because that's what they're going to bring to this space. And pastoring is so much of a, a walk with a group of people over 
years and yes, your craft is so critical, but your task is so different. It is that being with uh, part. And that, that I think in an era where you can listen to any great communicator on a podcast or a YouTube channel today, the opportunity for the local church leader is to be the shepherd that walks with the people. Um, and I think we miss that by trying to be, you know, if we, if our only goal of improving our communication is to achieve some sort of mantle of being a keynote speaker or something like that, we're missing the calling that God's set before us, which is what I hear uh, just woven into what you're saying. So, yeah, that's right. That's, yeah. that's it. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so um, let's talk about um, different size rooms because um, I, when I did, would do interviews with young leaders uh, when I was hiring for a camping conference ministry, I'd often ask them this question. I'd say, you know, out of if you had three different spaces, a one-on-one, a one-on-twelve, or an audience of a hundred plus, rank those in terms of what would be your preferred space. Like, what would be the one that you feel the most comfortable and the least comfortable? And for me. I always kind of felt the most comfortable one-on-one and a hundred plus. And it was really that 12 person space, which is one of the most important spaces of leadership um, that I've always kind of struggled with. And just that vulnerability of being, you know, you're completely seen, you're leading. And I, one of the things for me, even in leading the evergreen way alongside you and Dave, and I love the shared leadership model has been to learn the value and how to better lead in that space. And so I've just really appreciated how you've led in that space. And so um, talk to me when you're in a room. And I think the other thing, we, we said this before we get on the podcast, but I think that space, the small leadership circles is one of the most pivotal ones for leaders in the church going forward. And the danger is that we just do another sermon or we just do the coffee conversation. But there's other there's a great opportunity to lead in those type of rooms where it's let's just say five to twenty people. So as you're thinking about that, what are some principles for that that type of a space that would be important? Yeah, first I would just want to affirm the importance of the twelve space. Like it's interesting if you ask me that question, I would probably say I'm twelve, one, and a hundred. Like I would put big groups at the bottom, though that's like I'm good at it. But I, I just I really love those groups of ten to twelve, um, and then one on one I like, but like you know sometimes it might be a dud. Like you're just like oh, I'm not connecting with this person, so that's why I put it number two. Um, you, you're not in that one. You and I connected really well the first time we were coffee, um, maybe about what, what Phew, okay. a year and a half ago. <laughs> no, I love yeah. this is fun. Um, so I think if you can get good at the groups in the middle, the other ones flow out of it. So I, I'm getting close to like an at like an Amway pyramid structure, honestly, because it's like if you could get really good at groups of 12, then one on one, you're going to have a better idea of the people you need to be spending time with to help pastor and lead them or to help lead and coach you. Um, and if, if you're great with people in groups of 10 or 12 and and you're just comparing notes on the weekend sermon, you know, and, and, you know, you bring down the, the production bar a little bit and just focus on, on leading and shepherding from the stage. Like it's going to be built on top of that. And, you know, you can, you can lay an egg, you know, once every 40 weeks and people are going to let you get away with it. Like, uh, you know, Andy, I know Andy, he, you know, he just, he had, he had a tough week. He didn't have a great story this week. That's okay. Um, at least he was authentic. He was still himself. Um, so anyway, a bit of a ramble there about your point, but I, I agree with it. So your question is in groups of 12, what, what is most important? Um, so I would say all the same things as before, but so, uh, you know, authentic audience, make sure there's a, so what, uh, make sure there's you know some kind of, um, trim of the content, but uh, you know, so all of that's assumed, but what does that actually mean? So I think one thing here's like first pro tip is when you're in a group of 10 to 12, and you're the leader. One of the most important jobs is to bring the mountains down and raise up the valleys. And what I mean by that is in a normal group of 10 to 12, how many people normally dominate the conversation? One, maybe two, right? Um, And that could be personality, authority, or title, or some combination of all of those things. So those are your mountains. And then how many people say nothing? Usually about the same, one or two, and everybody else is in the middle. So one of your jobs as a leader is to bring those people down, let them still contribute. And, you know, if, you know, if you report to them, that's tough. 
Um, you know, or if they're a founder, that's tough. Or if you're, you know, transitioning an organization and they're one of those people you're transitioning from, that's tough, but it's doable. Um, and then get these voices to engage so that everybody's kind of at the same level. Um, and I, I think that is a, a huge deal. And that is done through listening really well, asking questions, um, little stuff, using names, eye contact. Um, one of the things I've I've taught folks is when you're when you're sitting physically in a room, which we're actually getting to do now. We weren't for a couple of years. Um, I always coach people to plant yourself across the table from one of your mountains, um, so that you can try to control them a little bit and bring them down with nonverbals. Um, you can sort of look off them and like look over here and be like, Andy, what do you think about that? Or you know. A lot of people, you know, you guys have been sharing quite a bit, um, you know, Andy, Dave, Amy, tell me, what do you guys think about what we were just talking about? So I think just play around with some different ways to in engage some of those folks in the room. So I think that's my biggest pro tip for that group. The second is you should still think through preparing and you should still think through what you want them to do. Like, what are, what are the outcomes that you want out of that meeting? And think about how much time goes into preparing for a weekend sermon if you're preaching um, and how little time you pray, prepare, you might prepare for an elder meeting or a leadership meeting or a staff meeting. I'm not saying it should be the same, but it, it should be weighted the same. Yeah, one of the things that I feel like you have really modeled well for me is that sort of, I would say the role of, of um, you are definitely the sage guide, but you're also a facilitator and um, and a seeking of helping people have a measure of self-discovery, which is a privilege of a smaller room where people are interacting. Um, so like I, the, the difference between more of a proclamation model to a conversational model, but it's a guided conversation so that's that's my observation does that resonate with kind of how you yeah thanks i mean that's space? a both are a great compliment i don't think i'm a sage at all um but you know maybe in 30 years but i i think the second one is something to just work at right so the facilitator side and it's you, there are so you know remember a couple of weeks ago and ever a couple months ago in evergreen we were walking through this psalm do you remember that and it was like it was connected to like all these communication principles that i saw in the psalm now what I could have done is I could have just spoken for 25 minutes and gone through each one of those Psalms and all the pastors in the room, like all the guys would have taken notes and they would have loved it. And, you know, it would have been, it would have really resonated, but I didn't do that. And instead what I did is I, I like went old school, you know, like back to young life when I was in, you know, freshman in high school. It's like, we like almost passed out like little verse numbers on pieces of paper, had everybody read the verse. And then I just asked, okay, what does that have to do with communication? And you're just like fishing and that's like risky for you and you're in front of a small group, but you'll eventually catch what you're looking for. And you know, it's like, yeah, okay, great point. Anybody else? And you just keep going. And eventually you're able to crystallize these thoughts. And that's, you know, this is ancient, this is Socratic method, but you learn it when you're a coach and a facilitator um, in these environments and how to get things out of a group and get them to say something. It's much more valuable to them. They're more likely to take ownership in it and then follow through on, on whatever it is. And it's also more memorable. So um, also, here's the, the another pro tip is that's actually easier. So once you develop that skill set, like you don't have to memorize your talk, like you just you're having a conversation and you know what you're looking for. Um, it's 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 actually relieving it relieves some of the anxiety. Yeah, I I think that there's uh, I, one thing I love that your church Crossway is doing and Dave's leading this well is the Monday school. We talked about that when he was on the podcast. Okay. But he's, um, I think there's an increasing need, and that's a large group. I mean, it's not really, but it's it's a bunch of micro groups. But um, I think there's an opportunity outside of Sunday morning to create more dialogue, more small spaces that are actually got. Like I think we have the small group model, and for some churches that's high intentionality. There's good leadership there, but for a lot of times it's really a community group. Uh, it has a value, but to have instructive, formative environments where we're guiding people through the timeless truths of scripture, who God is, uh, in a way that's not just Sunday morning. Um, I think it's a, a, an art that we need to continue to recapture in the local church. And so, um, it's been a joy to be able, and it's even the, even the cohort model that we're doing with Evergreen, um, one of the, I don't know if I shared this with you and Dave yet, but you know, Chris, who's one of our leaders has said, I'm going to do this model now with some of my core leaders in our church, a defined term leadership group that has a barrier to entry of application and even some investment 
and then we're going to go on a journey for nine months or a year. Um, Does he know we stole it from Jesus? Ours. Like, it's not our idea. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's right. Well, I told him I need royalties. Yeah, for license it, so. that <laughs> thing, man. <laughs> no, it's good. So it's a, that's an exciting and, and awesome, awesome thing. So, um, yeah. Um, but Doug, thank you so much for jumping on here today. I feel like you're someone that I could talk to for hours at a time, but this today has been so helpful uh, for me. Thanks for your friendship. Thanks for what you're investing in leaders and um, excited for this to be a resource and helpful to uh, pastors and ministry leaders uh, all around New England, Northeast and beyond. So thanks for taking the time today to jump on. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Andy. And uh, really thrilled to get to share with the audience anything people want to follow up with. Just uh, just reach out. Happy to chat. What's the easiest way for people to, to connect with you? Yeah. So I'm in the marketplace. So LinkedIn, <laughs> and yes. if, you know, here's, a, it, can we do a simple to do? Like, can I actually practice what I was preaching earlier? Yeah. You're going to give an so, action step here. All I'm right, going to give an action step. You can choose to do it or not. It's the only action step. But if, if you want to more deeply connect with your marketplace, um, Google how to build a great LinkedIn profile and then do it. And you can farm this out to a 15 year old or 16 year old in your family um, something like that, but like take 30 days, put a timer on it and say like by March 15th, I to March, uh, I'm going to have a, a LinkedIn profile that I'm proud of that has a decent photo, a good bio, a couple other things. That's where marketplace leaders are spending time. Um, like literally that's where we communicate. We're, we're sharing things. We're learning things from each other. Um, it's a great place for pastors to engage and don't like just pop in overtly spiritual content. Just it's the same as the conversation. Just listen in, interact, communicate, message, all that kind of stuff. It's there. So I, I think that's a, a really strong encouragement for people. So anyway, you can find me there. I'm just Doug Melder uh, at LinkedIn. That's great counsel. I think that in the era of shifting uh, social media right now, a lot of pastors are trying to figure out where to spend their time and energy and you just gave them a piece of gold. So that's awesome. And yeah. uh, please connect with, with Doug and find me there and I'll, I'll continue to engage more. I've taken counsel from you here today. So thanks so much. Thanks, Andy. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Evergreen Way podcast. On behalf of our entire team at Converge Northeast, it is a privilege to bring you these conversations to help you be a healthy leader for the long haul. We would love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at Converge Northeast and send us a message. That's an easy way to connect with us. Or you can send me an email directly, Andy at ConvergeNortheast.org. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast ideas you might have, or even suggestions for potential guests in the future. Please remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you would, do us the favor, leave us a review. Let us know what you think and help other people discover this resource. Until next time, this is Andy Needham with Converge Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in.